it is interesting that the turns that life makes over the years and this a couple of years ago I went to Jamaica and a young man named Calvin Barrett went on that particular trip and I worked with Calvin and another guy uh, Francis was what his last name but anyway I worked with those two and really spent quite a bit of time in trying to develop and help them understand how to teach on a private level someone that you might set up a Bible study with and we went through several Bible studies together and different things like that. Well this week uh, Brinson goes down or goes up to Little Blue Bible Camp and guess who his counselor is? Calvin Barrett. So it's funny how things turn out that way. Well, several years ago, and it wasn't when I was growing up, and I don't think it was when our children were growing up. In fact, there was no such thing as this when I was growing up. But I remember sitting down and watching television with the kids and the grandkids, and they had the word of the street. Now, I don't know if they use that anymore or not, but maybe some of you kids can can understand what I'm talking about. What's the word on the street, they would ask. And they would come up with different words. Well, what's the word on the street? Well, tonight the word on the street is the word. And we're going to look at the word within Scripture. Now, our purpose in looking at this particular lesson is to understand at least a little bit about the eternal nature of Jesus and His creative power but it also will ultimately develop in what the Lord has provided for us, or what Jesus has provided for us. In John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 5, there John recorded for us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth into the darkness, or in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it, comprehended it not. So in looking at this particular passage, there are really five attestations that were made concerning Jesus. And we're going to look at each one of those attestations. But before we begin looking at the attestations, we need to explain a little bit about the Logos. Jesus is the Logos. Now, the word Logos is simply the Greek term and uh, for the, the word word. It's the Greek term for word. And the word Logos can be used in a number of different ways. It can be, be used with reference to any specific word can be used with reference to the gospel, and it is sometimes used with reference to that. It can be used with reference to the entirety of the Bible or in a particular section of the Bible. But Jesus is referred to the Word in this particular case. It really encompasses two thoughts. The first thought is that the Word is the divine link between God and the world. Now, in my mind, what I'm thinking about is like Jacob's ladder. You remember Jacob's ladder and Jacob dreamed of this ladder and there were angels ascending and angels descending. Well, those angels that ascended 
were like the priests that offered up worship unto God. And we offer up worship through or in the name of or by the authority of Jesus unto the Father. But then you have the angels descending. And those angels, and the angels remember, are messengers. And they're bringing the message of God down to man. Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder. He brought the, the message of God to us. Now, it's interesting when you go over to John, the 12th chapter, and in, in verses actually 47 and 48, Jesus, or, uh, yeah, Jesus said that if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. Now, I've always thought, well, that's kind of odd. He said, I judge him not. But then he recognized what does judge. He said, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So his first coming was not to bring judgment. His second coming will be for the purpose of bringing judgment. So that we do not misunderstand, though, look at verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, or the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So the words of Jesus is our standard of judgment. And though he does not judge us presently, but one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll give an account of the things done in the body, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And Jesus' will, His Word will be that standard of judgment. So He gave us His Word. And it, notice it says, judgeth us, which indicates that it keeps on judging us. We have the judgment now. And that Word, it keeps on judging us. As we read and as we study it, then we are bringing judgment upon ourselves, whether in a good way or whether in a bad way. The second thought that's included in the Logos, or the term Logos, the Word, is that the Word is the creative activity of God. Now there is no doubt in my mind, and hopefully there's no doubt in your mind, that John 1 and verse 1 and following, in the beginning was the Word, is a reflection back to Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This is a reference back. And I find it interesting that John, in his first epistle, began to look at, he says, that which was from the beginning is how he began that first epistle. And so he referred back to the very beginning. And so when we're talking about the creative activity of God, what we're talking about is, and God said, let there be light. And all the way down to verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God then created the creation. And this is a reflection upon the word that he spoke and he spoke the creation into the world. Now the word is identified so that there's no misunderstanding. 
I don't know how you could look at John 1 and come up with a different interpretation, although we were talking about it earlier, and I know that there are others that have different interpretations of this, but John made it perfectly clear. Now, to understand John chapter 1, and though we're not going to really look at this, but there is a contrast between John, or between rather Jesus, John made a contrast between Jesus and John the baptizer. Jesus was an eternal being. John the baptizer was a man. And that was the basic contrast between that. But in verse 16 he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus then, is, it is made perfectly clear that Jesus is the Word. He was the one that was made flesh. He was the one that was eternal. He was the one that dwelt among us. And so to understand John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 is to understand that Jesus is the Word. Now with that in mind, the first attestations that we come to. In verse 1, remember he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the first attestation, actually the very first as far as the text is concerned, is in the beginning was the Word, or the Word was in the beginning. But he's going to allude to that again or reiterate that again in verse 2. And so we're going to use it in that order rather than in the order that we find within the text itself. And so the Word was with God. Now this is a clear reference that, that the Word was with God the Father. It has to be with God the Father. And this indicates that He had a living relationship with God the Father. Now what is... And at least in my mind, what is really particular about that is this. Throughout all of eternity, there was a sweet fellowship between the persons of the Godhead. A sweet fellowship between Jesus and God the Father. And so Jesus was with God, with God the Father. But now you think about that with reference to the, the time upon the cross. In Matthew, the 27th chapter, in verse 46, Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, by bearing the sins of the world, at least for a moment, he was separated from God. Can you imagine the sweet fellowship for all eternity and then being separated from God? And He did it for you. And He did it for me. And so the Word was with God. That relationship that He had with the Father and the fellowship that He had. And since the Word was with God, then He was and is separated from God the Father. Now I think there's a lot of misunderstandings of, as far as that is concerned. but we'll And we'll get into that to some extent. But nonetheless... He was a separate person, and I think that's the best term that, that is used, but not person in the sense of human person, but person in the sense that he had a personality. And he was then a separate person from God the Father. Now in the original text, 
we find the several uses of the word was, but this is not the normal use of the word was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Well, so we have three times in verse 1 that he used the word word was. But the word was is not like the English in that it's in English was is past tense. But this is a word that that's actually durative, uh, uh, imperfect. Now I know... You know, I don't want to get into a language lesson, but at the same time, I want to give you some depth into that concept of what, what this is referring to. Well, in the original language, the imperfect was something that happened in the past, but the effects continue on. And there's never an end of those effects. Well, this is the durative imperfect, which means that it reaches back beyond or before eternity and so the Word was with God. In other words, Jesus was with the God the Father in all eternity. Now that makes Him different or unique or the only begotten of the Father in that He is different than the rest of humanity. You see, you and I had a particular point of beginning. When our parents conceived and we came forth, that was our beginning, but not so with Jesus. And that's actually brought out in other passages which we'll look at here in just a moment. Now there was never a time, in other words, when the Word was not with God. There was never a time when Jesus was not with the Father. But if He was with the Father, or since He was with the Father then he had to be perfect. Well, think about 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. These things have I written unto you that... Uh, no, sorry, wrong verse. Uh, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him dwelleth no darkness at all. Now, what's interesting about that particular verse is that in him dwelleth no darkness at all is emphatic and in fact, our English translation does not even come close to what that word means. And I remember listening to a fellow that actually taught Greek in a school, and he said, it means that there is absolutely none, zilch, zero darkness in God. Now, if we're walking in darkness, and that's really the point that John is portraying there in that particular chapter, if we're walking in darkness, we are walking in sin, and we think we have fellowship with God, we are deceiving ourselves. It is impossible to have any darkness and walk with God. Now for you and I, that means we have to have forgiveness, because every single one of us sin. And so in later on in verses 8 and 10... He spoke about the fact that we have all sinned. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we must confess our sins. Verse 9. Well, so the whole point is, is that in order for us not to have any darkness, we have to be forgiven. And we have to do those things that bring about forgiveness. But that's not so with Jesus. He was with the Father, indicating that He was perfect 
and without sin. But then the next thing we learn about Jesus is that He was God. Now I know that there are a lot of misunderstandings about the fact that He was God. He was not God the Father, and that's what that has reference to. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God the Father, but He was not God the Father. But He was not, or he, and He was God. Well, in the original language, and though again I don't want to get into that too much, but the word God normally is preceded with an a articulate pronoun. And an articulate pronoun in English is the word the, or a word like the. So the, uh, in some languages they have articulate pronouns like English, but other languages don't. Well, the original Greek language has articulate pronouns, or, or in, I know this dates me, but nonetheless, back when I was in school, they called it a definite pronoun. And so we emphasize things and I remember one time this fellow over in Ukraine, he was talking about the church, and he, and he kept saying, and Jesus said he will build his church. That's the church. And he would emphasize, that's the church. Well, that's the definite, that's the articulate pronoun that we're talking about. Well, normally the word God, especially in reference to God of heaven, has a definite pronoun before it. It isn't always there in English, but it has that definite pronoun before it in, in, in the original. You have the same thing with the word Christ. We don't have it in English, but oftentimes the V is before that. And I remember knowing, uh, having uh, worked with one fellow, and he was a gospel preacher. He knew a little bit of Greek, and he would refer not Jesus as Christ, but he would refer, refer to him as, and every time he would say, the Christ. And he would emphasize, Jesus is the Christ, because that's how it's emphasized in the original language. Well, this particular word God, in this case, does not have the articulate pronoun. There is no inarticulate pronoun in the, in the, in the Greek, in the Koine Greek, like the word a or an in English, but there's no articulate, inarticulate pronoun, in or indefinite pronoun in the Greek. So when I was in Greek class years and years ago, and back in and uh, Chaz or uh, Brinson, he said this the other day to me, he said, back in 19, none of your business. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, back when I took Greek years and years ago, uh, they taught us to translate this idea as that type of being. Well, it's really more the idea of Jesus was God or the Word was God is the Word was deity. Now, when we understand that. Or the Word was divine or the Word was a divine being. And, and that's the way this is recorded in the Greek. We were taught to translate it, the word was a, uh, a kind of, of God or a, uh, that type of person that was God. Something of that nature. But it just simply re has reference to His deity or His divinity. It has reference to Him being divine. 
Now, I know that there are different translations with that, and we'll talk about that here in a moment, but it does not indicate, because remember we talked about the fact that in the beginning was He was uh, with God and He was God, but it is really not indicating that there are three different gods. We do not believe, at least I hope we do not believe, although I've heard different ones say different things that really bring about the conclusion and their logical conclusion to what they say is that we believe in tritheism. Well, there's a difference between tritheism and trinity. Tritheism is the belief that there are three individual distinct gods. But then how do you correspond that with the Bible says that there is one God. That's all there is, is one God. And so it does not indicate three gods, but the one God, and this is the way I taught it when I taught about the Godhead, the one God manifests Himself, singular, in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He manifests Himself, singular, in those three persons. And I think that's the best way of thinking about it. Now I've heard illustration after illustration of human reasoning, of, of the Trinity and those kind of things, but let's face the facts. There is no one that fully understands the Godhead. No one that can fully understand the Godhead. The Godhead is infinite, and we are finite, which means we cannot think in terms of the infinite. And so we use the best that we can to help us to understand it. And I always told the students whenever I taught the Godhead that, you know, if you're really thinking about it the way you ought to be thinking about it and trying to expand your mind in understanding at least somewhat of the Godhead, it's going to give you a headache. And most of the guys would say, yeah, you know, when you start thinking those ways and you're trying to think outside the box and you're trying to... to wrap your mind around that concept of the Godhead and the one God manifesting Himself in three ways and three persons, then that does kind of have difficulty with our mind. No, this is not the Word was a God. And notice I put that statement in quotes because the New World Translation of the scriptures, and that's the full def or the full title of that particular book, the New World Translation of the of the Scriptures, by the Watchtower Witnesses. That's how they translate it, brethren. They will say that Jesus is the Son of God, but what they mean by that, and what we mean by that, is two completely different things. They don't teach the truth on this. They believe that Jesus is the first created being. Well, this verse talks about the creation. And we're going to learn from this, these particular verses that there is nothing that Jesus did not create. Nothing that He did not create. It's all inclusive. And if Jesus is the first created being, then He must have created Himself. Well, how do you, can you create yourself? Don't you have to exist in order to create? <laughs> of course. So it's, it's self-defeating and self it's actually self-contradicting as far as that's concerned. 
He's not a little G God. He is God. He's divine. He is an eternal, or He is the eternal being. He is deity. The third attestation that we find within this particular passage is that He was in the beginning. The Word was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 2, and the same was in the beginning with God. So verse 2 then is a reiteration of what He said in verse 1. The beginning, of course, is the beginning of time and place. In other words, the creation. We're talking about when Jesus spoke the world into existence. Yes, I said it right. When Jesus spoke the world into existence, when God spoke the world into existence, He was there on that occasion. And He was with the Father on that occasion. It was the beginning of time and place. And people then, because we are finite creatures and we have to think in terms of time and place, but God is not limited to time and place. <laughs> and there are several instances within the Scriptures that indicate that very clearly. I mean, I think about Jesus being on one side of the Sea of Galilee and then appearing on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, surpassing place and thus surpassing time and just being there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There were occasions like that. And you think about the first miracle of Jesus. And I know what the various other books say, but the Bible says that the first miracle of Jesus, the beginning of His miracles, was when He turned water into grape juice. And yes, that's right, it's grape juice. And when He turned water into grape juice, it was a, it was a miracle of time. Is it not the case that water naturally turns into grape juice? Well, yeah. Think about it for a moment. The rain comes. The rain comes to the ground. The grapevine picks up the rain, brings it up into the vine. It ultimately fills the grape up. And the grape then becomes able to be harvested. And what do they do? They pull the grape off the grapevine and they squeeze the grape juice out of the, out of the grape. It is a natural process. And yet Jesus reduced what would normally take months and He reduced it and surpassed time in creating that great juice. But time and place is when, the time and place is when God created the universe. And that was the beginning and thus John began his account of Jesus before the creation. Now if you look at the book of Matthew, where does Matthew begin? The genealogies and the birth of Jesus. Where does Luke begin his gospel record? With the birth of Jesus. And Mark, he begins actually with the ministry of Jesus. And so they don't go all the way back. The synoptic uh, accounts of the gospel does not go all the way back to the beginning, but John, he chose to reveal to us, and of course by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that from the beginning, and at that point of beginning, Jesus was there. He was at the beginning. And the Word was associated with God the Father, 
in the beginning or at the beginning when the universe was created. And God the Father and God the Son were together having that fellowship at the beginning and existed in eternity. Well, now let's go over to Malachi chapter 5 and verse number number 2. There Malachi, or not Malachi, but Micah, brother, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Micah said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been of old, from everlasting. Now notice that Micah noted two different things about Jesus in this particular passage. He noted his earthly beginnings, which was in Bethlehem, Ephrata, and then he noted his eternal beginning from everlasting. He said, from of old, from everlasting. And so, unlike the rest of us that have our beginning at the conception of our parents, not Jesus, his, He went back to eternity. He existed from everlasting. And then the next attestation is that Jesus was the Creator. Now notice he, he began in verse 4. He said, And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, this excludes nothing. If He was the first created being, He had to create Himself. And that, as I've already explained, is self-contradicting. All things were made by Him. Now I know that sometimes people have difficulty with that, but Jesus is the Creator. And there are five other attestations of this within Scripture, at least five others. There's probably more than that. In First John, or in John chapter one and verse ten, he says, "He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not." In First Corinthians chapter eight and verse six, Paul recorded in the letter to the Corinthians, he said, "But to us there is but one God, the Father." and of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. In other words, He then is the Creator. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9, there again Paul recorded, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 16, Paul again recorded, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Notice that in this particular passage, Not only did He create all things that were created by Him, but He says it was created for Him. It was for His purpose. And then Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word... Sorry. uh, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son 
whom He hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom all things exist. And so there is nothing created that was not created by Him, by whom He made the worlds. So He made everything. So that we do not misunderstand, John went on to say, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Without Jesus, there was nothing that was made that was not made. Everything that was made was made by Jesus Christ. How can you miss the point? I don't know. It'd be impossible to miss the point. God created the world through His Son, Jesus the Christ. And then the last attestation of of John 1 verse 5 is that He was, was life. Now, going back to John 1 and verse Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness, or in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So, in Him was life. Jesus was the Creator, but He was also the Sustainer of life. But when we look at that, brethren, He is the Creator and Sustainer of physical life, but He is also the Creator and Sustainer of spiritual life. He's given us life, and in Him is life. Now, not everybody will have spiritual life, but everybody has physical life, and so we go back to the, the, the Son in, in order to, for us to have life. And the life was the light of men. As we probably realize that Life is dependent upon life. Or life, rather, is dependent upon light. And so one has reference to the other. In John 8 and verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So light then influences. And thus, he is the light of the world, but then He said to His followers, and only to His followers, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So we are the light of the world, but how is it that we are the light of the world when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? Because if we're doing the will of God, if we're doing the will of our Lord, then we're reflecting the light of Jesus. And if we're not doing the will of the Father and the will of the Son, we are not reflecting the light of Jesus. Now light, the most basic understanding of light is that light influences. So we go into a dark room and what do we do? We flip on the light. And we recognize that we oftentimes need to flip on the light. And it seems like, you know, when I was younger, I didn't turn on the light as much. But nowadays, I'm a little bit more careful and I turn on the light pretty quick. And I, even though I do stumble through the room sometimes, but that's what it really amounts to, is stumbling through a dark room. But what does light do when you flip on the light? It influences 
the rest of the room that we can see. Light is really then not only a great influencer, and darkness is as well as far as that goes, but light is a symbol of things like purity. Light is a symbol of knowledge. Light is a symbol of good. And other things could be added to that list. And darkness is the opposite of light. And so if light is a symbol of good, darkness is a symbol of evil. If light symbolizes purity, then darkness symbolizes uh, dirt and uh, those kind of things. And if light symbolizes knowledge, then darkness symbolizes uh, ignorance. You see, the whole point is that light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. So the light of Jesus then shines into the world, but the world doesn't want to receive it. And that's really the, the ending of Jesus' message to Nicodemus over in John, the, the third chapter. You remember we always quote John 3 and verse 16 and sometimes we'll add verse 17, but if you just keep going, Jesus said that He was the light that came into the world and the world did not love darkness or they did not love light, they loved darkness. Well, those that are in sin, they love darkness. And why is that? Because they don't want their sins revealed. And when you turn on the light, and, and you, I mean, we're all, we've been parents or are parents, and the kids are doing something in the dark, and, and they, when you come in and you flip on the light, you catch them doing something bad. Well, you know, there's a reason why they were trying to hide it. Well, you know, we understand that. Well, the people of the world, they like darkness. They don't want others to know what's going on. And if you don't believe that, go to Walmart in the middle of the night, although that's difficult nowadays. But nonetheless, that reveals what I'm talking about there. Well, we looked at the Word, and we looked at the five attestations found within this passage. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was the Creator. And the Word was life. But when you really boil it all down, it comes down to this. And I found it interesting, Paul's message this morning, because I'd already prepared the sermon and I actually took care of it yesterday, or at least the PowerPoint part of it yesterday. And I had this in there, but I wasn't going to change it. But there, there we have a choice. We have a choice. Who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the Word? Or are we going to follow darkness? I mean, it's one way or the other. I mean, it's a choice between darkness and light. I don't know about you. I can't imagine living life without light. It's just beyond my imagination. I appreciate the light. And I appreciate the light of Jesus. And so for me, I'm going to be like Joshua, who chose the right ways of the Lord, who chose to follow, uh, to follow the ways of God. I'm not going to go with darkness. I'm going to go with light. And I'm going to be determined to choose light over darkness. I just can't even imagine living a world 
of darkness or living in a world of darkness. And I'm confident you feel the same way and uh, hope, hope that you do. But we do want to offer the invitation this evening. There may be someone that would like to respond to it, and if that be the case, then we invite you to come as together we stand and sing to encourage you.